Sunday blessings to you all. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection, that commences a new week and offers another opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is St. Augustine of Hippo, one of the great Western Fathers of the Church. Known as the Doctor of Grace, St. Augustine has left us powerful insights in his works such as On the Trinity and the Confessions, to name only a few. He also penned hundreds of homilies, and this week we listen to an excerpt of Homily 53, wherein St. Augustine reflects on Jesus' pronouncements of blessedness, which have popularly become known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes form an introduction to the entire Sermon on the Mount, recorded by the evangelist St. Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' life and words, particularly those in his sermon, are the basis as well as the challenge for all living as a disciple of Jesus and citizen of the kingdom of God. And now, an excerpt from Sermon 53 by St. Augustine of Hippo. Your graces have heard the Holy Gospel together with me. May the Lord assist me as I talk to you about the passage that has been recited, so that what I say may be suitable for you and bring forth fruit in your habits and conduct. Every hearer of God's word, you see, should reflect that he ought to order his life in accordance with what he hears. He shouldn't be content with praising God's word with lips and treating it with contempt by the way he lives. After all, if what is said is a pleasure to hear, how much greater a pleasure it should be to put it into practice. I, here, am playing the part of the sower. You are God's field. Don't let the seed be wasted. Let it come to a good harvest. With me, you have just heard how Christ the Lord, when his disciples came to him, opened his mouth, 
and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the one true master began teaching his disciples when they came to him, and he said what I have briefly reminded you of. You too have come to me in order that with his help I may speak to you and teach you. Can I do anything better than teach the same things as such a great master set before us in his words? So, be poor in spirit, in order that the kingdom of heaven may be yours. Why are you afraid of being poor? Think of the wealth of the kingdom of heaven. People are afraid of poverty. Let them be afraid, rather, of iniquity. After the poverty of the just, in any case, will come great prosperity, because there will be complete security. Here, on the other hand, the more you increase what you are called riches, but are really not so, you also increase fear, and you don't put an end to greed. You can find me many rich people. Can you find me one who has no worries? He's in a fever to go on getting. He is in a sweat about losing. When can such a slave ever be free? It is slavery to serve any mistress. And can it be freedom to serve Dame Avarice? So, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does poor in spirit mean? Being poor in wishes, not in means. One who is poor in spirit, you see, is humble. And God hears the groans of the humble and doesn't despise their prayers. That's why the Lord begins his sermon with humility, that is to say, with poverty. You can find someone who is religious, with plenty of this world's goods, and yet not thereby puffed up and proud. And you can find someone in need who has nothing and won't settle for anything. This one does not have more grounds for hope than the former. The first is poor in spirit because humble, while this one is indeed poor, but not in spirit. That is why the Lord Christ, when he said, Blessed are the poor, added, In spirit. Any of you then who are listening and are poor, don't seek to become rich. Listen to the Apostle not to me. See what he said. There is great gain, he says, in piety with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, 
and we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and clothing, let us be content with that. For those who wish to become rich, he didn't say, who are, but who wish to become. Those, therefore, who wish to become rich fall into temptation, he says, and into a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For avarice is the root of all evils, and some people, by craving for it, have gone astray from the faith and involved themselves in many sorrows. When you hear riches, it sounds such a lovely word. They fall into temptation. Is that a lovely word? Many foolish and harmful desires. Is that a lovely word? Ruin and destruction. Is that a lovely word? To be involved in many sorrows. Is that a lovely word? Don't let one unreal good lead you astray and get you stuck with so many real evils. Because, however, the apostle was not addressing those who are rich with these words, but those who are not, to warn them off wanting to be what they are not. Let's also see with what sort of words he accosts those he already finds to be rich. I have told you what had to be said, and you that are poor have heard me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit possession of the earth. Meek those who don't oppose the will of God. They are the meek. Who are the meek? Those who, when it goes well with them, praise God, and when it goes badly, don't blame God. Who glorify God in their good works and blame themselves for their sins. They shall inherit possession of the earth, which earth, which land, if not the one of which the psalmist says, My hope are you, my portion in the land of the living. Blessed are the mourners, for they shall be consoled. My brothers, mourning is really mourning when it is the mourning of the penitent. Every sinner, surely, ought to be a mourner. Who do we mourn for but the dead? And what is quite so dead as the wicked? Here's a great thing. They only have to mourn for themselves, and they come to life again. Let them mourn by repentance. They shall be consoled by remission of sentence. Blessed are those who 
hunger and thirst for justice, because they shall be satisfied. Being hungry for justice is proper to this earth of ours. Being satisfied will come in another place where nobody will sin. It will be repletion with justice, such as the angels enjoy. Meanwhile, who are hungry and thirsty for justice should be saying to God, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The best possible order? After saying blessed are those who hungry and are thirsty for justice, because they shall be satisfied, he added, Blessed are the merciful, for God will show them mercy. You are hungry, you see, and thirsty for justice. If you are hungry and thirsty, you are a beggar to God. So you are standing as a beggar at God's door. And there's another standing at your door. The way you treat your beggar is the way God treats his. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do everything mentioned already, and your heart is purified. You have a pure heart because you don't pretend to be friendly and nurse unfriendly feelings in your heart. Where God sees is where he gives the prize. Anything there in your heart that gives you pleasure, don't give it your approval or your praise. And if an evil desire tickles you, don't consent to it. And if it grows very keen, you must pray to God against it, that something may be done inside about purifying the heart where God is being prayed to. Clearly, when you want to invite God to answer to prayer, clean out your inner room. Sometimes the tongue is silent and the soul is sighing. That means God is being prayed to inside the room of your heart. There should be nothing there to offend God's eyes, nothing to cause him displeasure. But perhaps you may find difficulty in cleaning out your heart. Call him in. He won't refuse to clean out a place for himself, and he will agree to stay with you. Or, are you afraid of receiving such a great potentate and being turned upside down by him as people of modest and slender means are usually afraid of being forced to receive in their houses great folk who are passing through? I agree. There is nothing greater than God. Don't worry. All the same, about not having enough room. Receive him, and he enlarges your living space. You have nothing to set before him? 
receive him, and he feeds you. And what is even more marvelous to hear, he feeds you on himself. He will be your food, because he said so himself. I am the living bread who came down from heaven. Bread of this sort invigorates and never deteriorates. So, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Who are the peacemakers? Those who make peace. Do you see two people quarreling? Be a promoter of peace between them. Say nice things about this one to that one, and about that one to this one. Do you hear one of them apparently in anger, saying nasty things about the other? Don't repeat them. Suppress the abuse uttered by an angry individual. Give honest thought to the business of reconciliation. What's more, if you want to be a peacemaker between two quarreling friends of yours, begin the work of making peace with yourself. You should first pacify yourself inside, where perhaps you are wrangling and brawling with yourself every day. That person had some internal wrangling going on in himself, didn't he, who said, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? For these are opposed to each other so that you cannot do whatever you will. These are the words of the Holy Apostle. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner self. But I see another law in my members fighting against the law of my mind and taking me captive in the law of sin, which is in my members. So if there is any kind of daily battle going on in the inner self, and the good fight is being fought to save the higher powers from becoming overcome by the lower, to stop lust conquering the mind, covetousness, quarreling, wisdom, then that's the right kind of peace you should be making in yourself to ensure that the better part of you controls the lower. Now the better part of you is the one where the image of God is to be found. This is called mind. It's called intelligence. That's where faith glows, hopes takes courage, charity is kindled. Does your mind want to be capable of conquering your lusts? Let it submit to one greater than itself, and it will conquer one lower than itself. And you will have in yourself a peace that is genuine, stable, and supremely well-ordered. What is the order of this peace? God controls the mind. The mind controls the flesh. Nothing could be better ordered. But 
the flesh still has its weaknesses. It wasn't like that in paradise. It became like that through sin. It's because of sin that it is chained to this clashing with our own selves. One who is without sin has come to harmonize our soul with our flesh, and he has been good enough to give us the pledge of the Spirit. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All this fighting, though, which tires us out in our weakness, even when we don't give in to evil desires, we are still somehow or other engrossed in the combat. We are not yet safe. All this fighting will be over then, when death is swallowed up in victory. Listen how it will be over and done with. The perishable body, this is what the Apostle says, has to put on imperishability, and this mortal thing put on immortality. But when this mortal thing has put on immortality, then shall come about the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. War is at an end and eliminated by peace. Listen to the victory celebrations. Where, O death, is your striving? Where, O death, is your sting? That's now the tone of of victory celebrations. No enemies at all will be left. No contender within, no tempter without. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who suffer persecution for the sake of justice. The addition of these last words distinguishes the martyr from the bandit. The bandit, too, after all, suffers persecution for his evil deeds, and he is not competing for a prize, but paying the penalty that is his due. It's not the penalty that makes the martyr, but the cause. You must first choose your cause, and then you can suffer the penalty without a qualm. There were three crosses in one place when Christ suffered, himself in the middle, on this side and that, two robbers. Just look at the punishment. It's all exactly the same, and yet one of the robbers found paradise on the cross. He in the middle delivers judgment, and while condemning the proud, he comes to the relief of the humble. That cross was for Christ his judicial bench. What will he do when he comes to judge? If he could do that while he was being judged. To the robber who confessed, he said, Amen, I tell you, today you shall be with me in paradise. This one, you see, 
acknowledged his case was different. What had he said anyway? Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. I'm well aware, he says, of my evil deeds. Certainly, let me go on being crucified until you come. And because everyone who humbles himself shall be exalted, he immediately delivered his verdict and granted a pardon. Today, he said, you shall be with me in paradise. But the Lord, all of him, was buried on that very day, wasn't he? Well, as regards the flesh, he would be in the tomb. As regards the soul, he would be among the shades of the underworld, not to be chained there, but to release others from their chains. So if on that same self-day he would be among the shades as regards the soul, in the tomb as regards the flesh, how could he say, Today you shall be with me in paradise? But it is Christ, all of him, just soul and flesh. Has it slipped your mind that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Has it slipped your mind that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God? So it's in the person of the Word that he said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Today, he says, as regards the soul, I am going down to the shades. But as regard the Godhead, I am not departing from paradise. To the best of my ability, I have expounded all the Beatitudes of Christ to your graces. Indeed, you are all so keen, I see, that you still want to hear more. Your graces have challenged me to say much, and no doubt there are other things I could say. But it's better that you should chew the cud on what you have received and inwardly digest it to your profit. St. Augustine of Hippo, pray for us. As we close this podcast with the collect for this Sunday, we collect or gather all of our petitions. We pray for all of the needs of the church, for all the needs of our country and the world. We pray for all who suffer, who are burdened in any way, who are sick in hospitals. And we pray for our local communities of faith, especially the domestic church of our families. Lord, have mercy on us all. Let us pray.
Grant us, Lord our God, that we may honor you with all our mind and love everyone in truth of heart. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord.